Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in on a little bit of everything with me, your host, Angelica. Thanks for tuning in on another episode of A Little Bit of Everything with me. And today, my guest is a professional speaker, best-selling author, and a blended family coach. And he seeks to help leaders to show confidence and courage in their homes and at work. Welcome, Joe, to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you very much. I'm, I'm doing really well. Thank you. Um, a little tired. My wife and I just went for a run a little while ago. And... Uh, definitely carrying around some Thanksgiving and Christmas weight. So a little more tired than I probably would be, but I'm doing well. Thank you. It's, it's that time of year where everyone's like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I just said the heck with this. I'm just eating cause I'm hungry and now I'm really paying for it. <laughs> Every step of that run I paid for it. <laughs> well, there's your journey off to uh, losing the, uh, the Christmas, the festivities. There we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, the holiday wait. Yeah. And I'm from Canada, so we actually okay. get a break before Christmas. I noticed okay. with uh you guys it's like you have Thanksgiving November, then yep. comes Christmas, and then you yep. got New Year's. At yep. least I took a little month break, but I felt like it was a long hiatus of eating and you know, the festive yep. the festive holidays. So yeah, how was your holidays anyway? Uh, it was really good, thank you. We had uh, we had a great time. Uh, I, I've got a lot of family that lives um, within a few hours drive of where we are, so we got to spend a lot of time with my family, with my wife's family. We had some family come down from Ohio. We had family come over from Georgia, um, and we had family come up from Florida. And so it was really good to uh, get to spend time with everybody, and uh, you know, had a great Christmas together, uh, celebrated New Year's together. That was pretty fun. My wife and I, and uh, and some friends. And, her older sister and her, and her husband and it was just it was a good time to uh spend time with my kids and with my family and, and celebrate the uh, the festive season that kind of thing well that's great and i wanted to ask which state are you from because it's amazing how many people i've met <laughs> over the past year <laughs> yeah podcasting will do that right yeah. <laughs> um i'm actually in alabama so i'm in the southeastern part of the united states alabama that is not so a cool. not a place known for its education definitely a place known for its football Oh, um, and that's that's much to my chagrin because uh, you know I don't really care that much about football, but I am a high school teacher as well. So trying to change that perception of uh, Alabama as being sort of an illiterate place full of hillbillies. Well, you know that's amazing that you're taking into that you know initiative to really prove that hey, you know we've got some great students here that are gifted in different ways, mm-hmm. and you want to put that on the map. So before we even get into about yourself what is mm-hmm. one thing that we should visit alabama what's the one place oh man uh depends on what you're into we've got uh i mean obviously like this is sort of a mecca for college football for for anybody who's a big college football fan you should probably come check out bryant denny stadium in tuscaloosa i can't believe i led with that god forgive me um <laughs> 
you know, but if you're into, if you're into science, if you're into engineering, go to Huntsville, check out the NASA Space and Rocket Center. That's just mm. incredible. Uh, we've got a lot of really good other sports here in Alabama as well. We've got Birmingham Legion, which is a um, uh, professional soccer team. That's pretty cool. We've got a lot of great colleges in Alabama. You should come visit. We've got lots of great scenery. We've got Mount Chihon. We've got the Coosa River. Uh, we've got Mobile Bay and lots of cool stuff down on the coast. I mean, it's it really is a pretty incredible state with a lot of different things that are worth coming to check out. So if you find yourself in the South, uh, come down here and visit and, uh, and, and eat a lot of good food while you're here. It'll probably be deep fried and not good for you, but it'll taste amazing. <laughs> so that's good. Well, I'm going to circle that. Eat a lot of good food. That's right. Because that's what I love to do. Is that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Barbecue stuff, deep fried stuff. I had a student bring me a homemade fried Oreo one day and that was just all kinds of glorious. So yeah. How dare they? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I may or may not have given that student bonus points for that. I'm just saying <laughs> oh my, my classroom, I get bonus points for what I want to. It's fine. Yeah, that's right. You got that right. So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so uh, like I said, I'm from Alabama. I've lived here most of my life. Um, I am uh, divorced and remarried, been remarried now for five and a half years. I've got two daughters from my first marriage. They are uh, 15 and oof, just about 13. Um, so I'm, I'm, my, my younger daughter's sitting over in the uh, next room and she just laughed at me when I said almost 13. So she's, she's excited about me having two <laughs> teenage daughters, uh, probably more than I am. Uh, we've, got, we've got two rescue dogs. We've got a pit bull something and a bulldog something, a butterscotch and bruiser. And uh, they came with us on a run today. And so my arms are tired as well as my legs because uh, that's 65 pounds of dog in each hand pulling opposite directions. So that was a blast. Um, you know, I, I was a history major in college. That's a lot of what I've taught. And I've been a high school teacher for 14 years. And um, I love history. I think it's endlessly fascinating. And I think people who don't like history, uh, it makes me sad for you because I, I feel like it was probably taught to you poorly. And that's why you don't like it. If it's taught well, it's insanely interesting because every, every human being loves stories mm. and that's all history is. It's, it's stories and it's interpretations of stories. It's not memorizing names and dates and facts. Like that's, those are the building blocks of history. You have to know those, but if that's all you get, like, I don't blame you for not liking history. I don't like memorizing names and dates and facts either. Mm. Um, so I love history. I teach that a lot. Um, I love reading books that are, um, um, fascinating to me in different ways. I'm a huge fan of the work of J.R.R. Tolkien, like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and Silmarillion. Mm -hmm. I'm also a huge fan of C.S. Lewis, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, Weight of Glory, those kinds of things. Um, so I love to read. I love, I'm a huge soccer fan, so I, I've coached soccer for years. I love to watch soccer on TV or the computer. Um, I'm a big Manchester United fan. They just, they just got beat today by Man City, so that was awful. Um, Glory, they, glory, Man United. That's what I'm talking about. I had my I had my Man United shirt on earlier, and uh, I had my Man United coffee mug out, and and it just it didn't do any good. So you know what can you do? Yeah, we just gotta uh, hope for the best for the next time. <laughs> that's right. Hope hope the next game is better than the than the previous game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm pretty laid back. I my wife and I enjoy going for runs together, and we feel very blessed to. Um, get to do things that we love. We, we live in a small town in Alabama. The town we live in is less than 25,000 people. So pretty small. And we live about a mile and a half from my ex-wife and her husband. And my kids um, spend some time with me and some time with their mom. 
and we feel very blessed that we have a pretty good relationship with them. We get along pretty well. We try to work together, the four adults, to raise our kids well, and that is not how it's normally done. And so um, one of the things that I do as well is I work with other blended families to try to help them figure out how to get along better, how to raise their kids better together, how to work well with someone they probably don't like very much, that is their ex, and, um, and just try to help them have a more positive life together. And, and so I feel very blessed to get to do things that I love because I feel like there are a lot of people making good money who hate their job. And um, I, I feel bad for them because I love my job. I love what I do. I love writing. I love speaking. I love uh, teaching high school. And these are things that I feel blessed to get to do on a daily basis. Wow. And you're very busy. <laughs> I am. Uh, someone just asked me the other day why I stay so busy. And I said, it's because I don't know any other way to live. Cause I don't, I don't normally think of it as busy. I really do love all the things that I do. And so it's not like I come home and I think, Oh great. I got to do this podcast interview. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, Oh man, I get to talk with someone else about these things that I love. This is great. We're going to have a great time. Uh, and so I feel very blessed again, because everything that's on my agenda are things that I have chosen to do because I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about education. I'm passionate about helping families. I'm passionate about leadership. I'm passionate about reading and writing. And, uh, and so I feel privileged that most of my day gets spent doing stuff I would choose to do even if I wasn't getting paid for it. Um, I do spend some time doing things I don't get paid for. My daughter and I play Mario Kart. Nobody pays us for that, but that's still fun. Uh, <laughs> dude, right? If we could get paid for playing Mario Kart, that'd be pretty cool. I don't think we're that good at it, though. So, well, put it on Twitch. People will still watch it and make some money. Uh, maybe we don't have one. I don't. I'm not sure what that is. I've heard that term from my students. I don't know what. I have a Wii, so that's what we play on. Um, that's a Nintendo thing, right? The Twitch. That's a Twitch is like an online platform. Twitch. For... Switch. I heard Twitch. There the we Twitch. Go. Twitch. I got it. Yeah. I... <laughs> Look, I am, a, um, I am a confirmed Luddite. I don't really do technology if I don't have to. Um, so I'm, I'm still learning how to use the smartphone that I've only had for about a year and a half. I'm 37. Um, I didn't really get a smartphone until about the last year and a half. Um, so I, am, um, I often hand it to my wife or to one of my daughters <laughs> and say, show me how to do this. Because, because I don't know and I'm not really that interested in learning. I just want them to fix it for me and then I can do what I need to do, you know, so... Well, good on you for just getting a smartphone just recently because, mm. oh my gosh, it could be good and it can be bad. <laughs> it's, it's been both. It's been both. It's been good in a lot of ways, uh, but it's also been distracting because I find myself watching soccer highlights when I probably should be doing anything else in the world. Um, but, you know, it's, it, like I said, it's, uh, technology is not bad in and of itself. It's mm. just a tool and how we choose to use it um, says more about us than it does about the technology. And that's one of the lessons I try to teach my students. As a history teacher, I find the need, especially now, every kid that I teach from here moving forward is part of the iPhone generation. They've never known a world without wireless technology and smartphones. Right? Kids that I teach, they're 13, 14, 15 years old. They've been around since these kids were potty trained. That's all they know. So I have to impress upon them that for the previous 5,000 years of written human history, smartphones didn't exist, which means mm -hmm. people can survive without them. And you can too. That's true. Um, because when you tell kids that, they don't believe. They look at you like you've just grown a second head out of your shoulder blade or something. <laughs> what? Well, how did parents talk with their kids at school? They didn't. That was the point. <laughs> well, what if you forgot something? Then you learn to deal with not forgetting your stuff next time. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's so true. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. So my mother-in-law still has a uh, working um, 
boom box that we used yes. to call it back in the day Heck with the yeah cane. i had a boom box as a kid yeah and then you had like Double the six deck. yeah and then you had yeah. like the six cd changer <laughs> yes we had one of those too yeah it's those pretty cool. big it's pretty big and believe it or not my nieces are lucky to be actually seeing one of those and yep. the oldest one is five years old and she's just like this plays music yes yeah. It does. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> Thank you have to you. put in something to get the music out of it. But yes, you can't just, there's no logging on and pulling up your playlist and those things aren't part of the boom boxes. Yeah, that's great. When, when I was a kid, we lived with my grandmother for a while. She had an eight track player and we felt the same way about the eight track player that kids probably feel about, about that. And then when, when I was a kid, my older brother had a, um, a, a turntable or a record player. That was yeah. pretty cool. We had the boom boxes. That was fun. I actually still have an iPod Nano that I listen to every day on my way to and from school. I have about a 45 minute commute to and from school each day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listen to my iPod nano. So I listen, I download podcasts or I download audio books or I put music and I listen to my, my iPod um, because I'm, I'm not interested in putting music on my phone and learning yet another app that I have to open to find what I'm looking at. I just, I have it on my iPod. I know how to use that. Let's do that. Wow. So, That's amazing. Yeah. It's pretty fun. I, uh, I'm, I'm probably about five or 10 years behind most Americans in terms of their use of technology and really I'm fine with it. It's okay. Yeah, it's true. Like you learn how to deal with it. You learn how to move yeah. on from it and that's it. That's yeah. Yeah. But it's good. Want. Like it's cool. Cause I love doing this kind of stuff. I just learned how to use zoom and Skype over the past couple of years. So I do, you know, a lot of interviews like this and uh, I actually just installed zoom on my phone a couple of weeks ago to do an interview with someone because I wasn't going to be home in time to log on to my laptop. Um, so I did the Zoom interview, actually sit, sitting in my car in a parking lot uh, on my phone. That was <laughs> that was a lot of fun. But technology is pretty cool because you can do stuff like this. You can connect with people from other countries, from other parts of the world, and you can have conversations that are hopefully um, informative and inspiring. And you know, those things weren't possible until within the past 15 years or so. And that that really is pretty neat. Yeah, that is absolutely right. And with the world of podcasting, it's amazing to see the people that you meet around the world. Mm-hmm. And um, it was nice for me. It was nice to meet somebody all the way from Congo, uh, from nice. Australia, New Zealand, yep. Yep. Uh, Finland. And you're just like, mm-hmm. holy crap, we can just do this with technology by using the internet. Yeah, absolutely. And it is. It's, it's incredible. Like you said, the people that you will meet and the places that they're from. I like logging onto my website and looking at the analytics and looking at where people are located who are checking out my blog posts or things like that. And so I'll look on there. I'm like, oh, so somebody from Iceland read this post and somebody from China read this post and somebody from the UK read this post. And why on earth would someone from Tanzania be interested? You know what I mean? Like, but, but I've seen people from all over the world and it's like, oh, that's pretty cool to be able to do that sort of thing. So um, that's really a lot of fun. For sure. Um, I'm, I'm just like amazed with the internet and it could, like you said, it could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, it's all on how you use it. And so that's part of something we have to teach in the classroom is for kids to understand that it is a tool and that the internet itself is amoral. That is the internet doesn't have morals. It's what you choose to do with it. It's how you choose to interact with it. Uh, and again, that says a lot more about you than it does about the internet. And, uh, and that's something kids have to learn. Another thing they have to learn is to differentiate between websites that are trustworthy versus websites that are maybe less so. And uh, because to a kid, if you type something in Google, everything that pops up, well, okay, Google brought it to me. It must be true or it must be trustworthy. Or it must be reliable. And man, that's just not the case. And so you've got to, you've got to work with them to demonstrate, okay, 
if you're looking at if you're looking up academic information and the website ends in a .edu, that's probably going to be okay. Or a .gov, that's probably from some government think tank. Okay, that's probably okay. If you're looking up something that ends in a .com, now you've got to do a bit more research because is that like a trustworthy company, or is that like Bob's website where he just types his own random manifestos about stuff, right? And and kids need to learn how to evaluate that the same way they should have been learning how to evaluate books or literature when they were younger, right? Yeah. Is this book trustworthy? Who wrote it? Why did they write it? Who did they write it for? When did they write it? What was the context? Is it actually trustworthy or is it not? Yeah. Um, like down here, I'm a, I'm a huge Duke basketball fan. So college basketball, my older brother and my best friend, huge North Carolina fan. So that's a big rivalry down here, Duke, North Carolina. Like that's, that's huge college basketball. If I want an accurate history of Duke basketball, I'm not going to ask the Carolina fans. Right, because I'm going to get a very biased version of history, mm -hmm. and it's just that kind of. That's a goofy example, but that's the sort of thing that students need to be learning. How do you differentiate between fact and opinion, and how do you differentiate between reliable information and information that's? I mean, all information is a little bit biased. How do you differentiate between information that's trying not to be biased versus information that's just blatantly biased and either doesn't know or doesn't care? These are skill sets that that we all need to be honing, uh, especially in the era of. Um, I hate to use this term, but you know, fake news, mm -hmm. who determines what is and isn't fake news? What well, depends on who's doing the opinionating during that particular moment? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I wanted to, I'm curious about your book because you're <coughs> best-selling author. Um, you're a public speaker, professional mm -hmm. speaker. And I'm, <coughs> I just, I can listen to you talk literally all day. <laughs> well that's very kind of you my students would probably be like oh you don't want to do that <laughs> but tell me more about this book that you have yeah so um the um I've, I've been very blessed both my books did they they hit number one in different categories on amazon which was pretty uh, pretty flattering um because i you know i i wasn't like a world famous author when i wrote these I, i'm probably still not a world famous author now but I'm, you know, I'm just a I'm just a high school teacher from Alabama. Um, but what I did is I tried to write things that were based in uh, truth and history and common sense, and I think that appealed to the people that read it, uh, that read the books. Um, I like to again, I, I'm a history teacher, so a lot of what I shared in there, I gave examples from history. And um, again, I think when history is taught well, when it's told as a story, it captivates people. And so I tried to do that a lot in my book. I tried to use examples from different historical figures, whether it was uh, Gandhi and Martin Luther King talking about things like civil disobedience or um, uh, nonviolent protests, or whether it was um, looking at the difference between having a big impact or having success. And so sort of contrasting Napoleon Bonaparte and Queen Elizabeth I of England, uh, who, by the way, if, if you your people listening haven't ever studied Queen Elizabeth, you are missing out. That lady was seriously awesome. Um, most people haven't heard of her anymore, which is too bad because she was awesome. Had a, had a huge, huge impact on England, which had a huge impact on world history. And I don't think she gets the credit that she deserves. She was a very successful ruler. She didn't have as much of an impact on history that people read as, as she probably should have. And, and, and that's our fault for not studying enough. But, um, you know, I love talking about that kind of thing. So I try to share a lot of that in the book. Um, the books that I wrote are both, both based on this idea of servant leadership, 
it's the idea. So the way that I define leadership is um, leadership is positively influencing other people to help them become better versions of themselves. So it's all about serving others to help them become better than they are. It's about helping other people find their strengths and cultivate those strengths in the service of yet other people. So it's not about me succeeding. It's not about me getting a raise or a promotion. It's not about me um, winning trophies with a soccer team. It's about helping kids become better kids in the classroom and athletes become better athletes on the soccer field and families become better families at home. And if I can do that, then I've made a positive impact in my world. And that's a good thing overall, even if you can't measure it. See, that's one of the things that uh, I would argue is a problem in uh, just 21st century society. We become so enamored with statistics, right? We look at our analytics all the time, like we were talking about. We look at our, our Twitter interactions or, or impressions. We look at how many people visit our website and, and we look at how many people read certain blog posts. And those aren't bad things, but there's not everything can be measured. And there are some good things that can't be measured. Like how, how much do I love my kids? There's no unit of measurement for that, right? That doesn't mean that I don't do it. It doesn't mean that I can't try to do it better. But how do you measure that, right? Well, it's the same thing with a family. How do you, how do you measure if a family is doing as well as they can? Or how do you measure if they could get better? Well, you can't. And so you've got to use things that are a little bit more subjective and less objective. You've got to start asking questions about where could we improve or how might we make things a little better, even if you can't measure it statistically. And um, that's hard for a lot of people to understand simply because we are so used to measuring everything. I mean, you get in your car now, if you've bought a car in the past five or 10 years, you've got your digital display on your dashboard and it tells you how many miles you're getting per gallon and how many miles you have left in your tank approximately and how many miles it's been since you last measured your trip odometer thing. And it tells you how much air pressure you have in your tires, right? And you're measuring all this stuff and that's good. It doesn't make you a better driver. That's true. Just because we have a lot of information doesn't mean it's actually helpful information. So again, we've got to ask the question, is this information actually valuable or is it just measuring stuff to measure stuff? Right. Uh, and, and those are, again, these are things that I want people to think about more. It's things that I want my students to think about as they're young so that as they get older, they at least have a context for that kind of thing. Uh, and so I love to, I love to explore those ideas, both from the stage and in the classroom and in my writing. No, for sure. And the book is called once again, so the listeners can start searching up this book on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the book is called inverted leadership, uh, lead others better by forgetting about yourself. And um, the, uh, the <laughs> I'm a big fan of the old movie Top Gun, which a lot of people have now heard of because they're making another one, uh, which makes me sad that that's the only reason young people have heard of Top Gun. If you haven't seen the original, just do that first, please. Um, but there's a scene in that movie where, where Goose and Maverick are talking and, and he says, oh, we were inverted, right? And he's, he's upside down. He's doing a little hand motion with the airplanes. And I thought about that in the context of leadership, because a lot of people think leadership is whoever's in charge giving orders or instructions or guidelines to the people below them. Well, that's true, sort of, but that's not all leadership is. In fact, leadership should be the other direction. It should be whoever's in charge giving guidance, but also freedom to the people that you're in charge of so that they can do their jobs well. So my job as the student or as the teacher is not to just dump knowledge into my student's brain. My job is to cultivate the knowledge they have and to inspire them to go on beyond that. 
So it's leadership sort of from the bottom up instead of top down. So that's where that idea of inverted leadership comes from. Now you can find the book on Amazon for those mm -hmm. listening. Um, everything's going to be in the show notes, the link to the book. You can get it on paperback or on e as an ebook as well. Mm -hmm. and, uh, well. And also, if you don't mind, I actually, um, if any of your listeners are interested, you can, you can go to my website, reallifeleading.com, and mm -hmm. there's a contact Joel form. If, if your listeners want to just want to email me, I'll just send you the PDF of the book. You can just have it for free. I'm, I'm not worried about making money off it. If you're interested in reading it, email me. I will send you a copy of it. You can have it for free. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Wow. Um, so, That's amazing. Well, well the, the thing is, like, I, I loved writing it. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I want people to have the information. Um, it's made, I've sold enough copies to pay for the book. That's really all I was looking for. After that, I just want more people to have it. So if you're interested in having it, email me. I'll send you a copy of it. That's awesome. Enjoy it. Pass it on to somebody else. Wow, that's amazing. So that information is going to be in the show notes for you, all of you out there listening to grab the free ebook. Um, just head over to reallifeleading.com and um, just contact Joel and he'll send you a free copy of the ebook. That's amazing. Thank yeah, you glad that. to do it. Certainly, certainly. My pleasure. Now, in your, in your own words and experience and with this book, what are good qualities of a leader? So it, it sounds like a paradox, but a leader needs to be both confident and humble at the same time. Uh, that's actually the, the leadership philosophy that I talk about in my book. It's called Confident Humility. And the idea there is that confidence is not the same as arrogance. Confidence is simply being sure of what you're good at. It's being sure of your gifts. And humility is often misunderstood. People often think humility means pretending you're not good at something even though you know you are. Um, that's not what humility is. Uh, C.S. Lewis tells us humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less often. So it's just putting other people first. That's what humility is. And so when you combine those two ideas, um, what you get is a leader who knows what they're good at but uses what they're good at to serve other people instead of themselves. That's what leadership is all about. So you need to be confident. You need to be humble. Um, and part of humility means you're willing to listen to other people, even if they disagree with you. Part of humility means that you are willing to um, encourage people who could be your rivals because you want them to do well also. Uh, part of humility is finding people who are good at what you're good at and surrounding yourself with people like that instead of pushing those people away, right? You want to have people who can shore up your weaknesses because you want them to, to be able to complement your kind of style. Um, another part of humility is, again, realizing that um, things that happen outside of your bubble affect what happens inside of your bubble. So like as a teacher, I need to know that what's happening in my students' lives at home are affecting their behavior in my classroom. Parents need to know that what's happening to their kids in school affects how they're acting at home as well, right? And as a coach uh, for, for soccer teams, I need to know that what's happening to my kids at home and at school is affecting their performance at soccer practice. Part of being a leader is understanding people aren't robots. We can't just compartmentalize all the time, right? And so we have to have emotional intelligence. We have to have empathy. We have to have a willingness to listen to other people. Sometimes my lesson plans for the day in my classroom, they just get scrapped because we start talking about something that's more important than whatever was on the, the agenda for that day in terms of the, the history topic we were studying. So let's explore whatever that other topic is, and then we'll come back to the other stuff tomorrow. 
You know what I mean? And, and so part of leadership is being able to, um, to adapt or to adjust uh, what you're doing instead of rigidly sticking to a set plan when things come up that would, you know, mess with that. So all of those things are wrapped up in humility uh, because again, it's a, it's a willingness to admit when you don't have all the answers. Again, that's a, that's a key part of leadership. Sometimes kids ask me a question. I say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I would love it if you would look it up and maybe come back to me tomorrow and tell me the answer to that. <laughs> so one of the classes I teach is uh, ninth grade world history. So that's mostly 14 and 15 year old freshmen and kids will say, well, what happened? so-and-so. And I don't know. Well, I thought you were a history teacher. I am a history <laughs> teacher. That doesn't mean that I know everything that happened in every battle and every war and the whole history of every planet or every uh, country in the whole planet. Like, no, that's dumb. Sorry, I don't know the answer to that question. But if you want to look it up and tell me, I'll be very glad to learn it from you. Let's do that. But that's also, it's interesting you find out when you're a leader, sometimes saying, I don't know, why don't you help me find the answer is very powerful. Because it, it shows people that you don't always have to be right. You don't always have to be the one who is um, asserting their authority through answering. You can say to other people, I don't know, but why don't you help me and we'll find the answer together. And that's empowering them to do a better job as well. You're absolutely right. And I think that's what we need more of um, leaders kind of just, I know we're a lot of them are portrayed where, okay, you need to, you know, everything, you know, everything mm -hmm. and anything in that particular subject or, or that topic. But what you just said there that, you know, if I don't know the answer, you can, if you find it, I'm open to listening, which helps mm -hmm. that student kind of give you that extra confidence in like, oh, wow, you know, I'm given the opportunity, the authority to search up the answer and share it with mm -hmm. my leader to my teacher, to my professor. So yeah. I, I actually, I, I really love that method. Yeah, good. Well, it's also fun too, because everybody who's been a student knows it's really fun if you can stump the teacher. So that's just a bonus. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you can ask the teacher a question, the teacher goes, that's a really good question. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Right. Then you sort of give yourself a little pat on the back. Mm -hmm, I'm pretty smart today. That's a good question. You know what I mean? Kids love that. Yeah, love it. it's so true. So true. Once again, everybody, the book is called Inverted Leadership, Lead Others Better by Forgetting About Yourself. Um, like you said, if you go onto his website on reallifeleading.com, give him, send him an email and he'll send you a free ebook copy of the book. Now, Joel, as a coach, mm -hmm. A coach of blended families. Tell mm -hmm. us more about that. So I mentioned that I am divorced and remarried. I also come from a divorced family. My parents split up when I was in middle school. And as a result of that, I have experience of going through it both as a teenager and as a parent with kids. Um, and so I think that gives me a lot of unique insights into what that's like. Um, some things I feel like my family, and when I say my family, I mean myself, my wife, my ex-wife, her husband, and our kids. Um, some things I think we've done really well together, and I'm grateful for those things. Some things we have not done terribly well, and we've learned some hard lessons there. And so what I want to do is to try to help other people um, avoid the mistakes that we made and maybe get a jump start on their blended family situation. If they can avoid some of the mistakes we made, if they can start some of the good habits even earlier in their blended family, that means they're going to have a better chance long-term of making their blended family a success. The, um, the, the word picture that I try to use is that of a coffer dam. 
and I'm going to assume most people are not huge fans of medieval architecture, right? Maybe they should be, but if they're not, that's okay. But most people aren't fans of medieval architecture, so they may not be familiar with what a cofferdam is. That's okay. Uh, the cofferdam is, uh, and I, was, I, I, I actually learned about this in a book I read a few years ago. I've always wondered as a historian, when you look at, so you go to the UK or you go to continental Europe, and you look at these beautiful stone bridges that, that were built five, six, seven hundred years ago. I've always wondered about the question, how do you build a, a bridge out of stone across this giant river that's 100 feet wide and 50 feet deep? How do you do that? And so I was reading a book about uh, life during the medieval era, and it, it actually described how they did that. They used these things called cofferdams. So you chop down a whole bunch of really tall trees and form them into boards. And you, you drive them into the bed of the river so that the top of the tree, the top of the board sticks up above the water. And then you do another circle of those. So you do an inner circle and an outer circle. And you fill in between with uh, mortar and then you bucket out the water from the inner circle. So what you've done is you've created dry ground in the middle of this river, in the middle of your circle. So it's like an upside down traffic cone. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. The so then... Attack. <laughs> okay, good. So you know, yeah, good. So then you, you start dumping the rocks in the bottom, right? And then you can start dumping in the uh, the cement or whatever kind of mortar you're going to use, right? I was fascinated by that. I just thought that's incredible. That's so cool. Well, here's the thing that takes so much work from the chopping down of the tree to finishing the boards to driving them into the river and then doing it again with a second circle of those. And you haven't even started putting in the rocks yet. Well, guess what? That's blended families. It's going to take years for you to build a bridge across the river of your blended family. But you've got to start by chopping down the trees. So something that, because you got to ask the question, like, if I'm building a bridge out of stone, why the heck am I chopping down trees? What does the one have to do with the other? Trust me, okay, take my word for it. I've been through it. you, you got to chop down the trees first. So we're going to start with little things. Like, how do you talk to your children about the people in the other home? Well, that's none of their business. I'm just asking a question. How do you talk to your kids about the other parents in the other home? And if the answer is anything other than positive, you need to stop that. You need to start chopping down these trees, right? And then you need to take those trees and start driving them into the riverbed. And then you need to start bucketing out the water. And then, then we can start piling in the rocks and start actually building a bridge. But it's going to take years. And when people understand that analogy, I think it helps them understand why blended family life is so hard. There is no such thing as a magic bullet in blended families. There's no such thing as a quick fix when it comes to blended families. There's just, there's not. And I'm sorry, I, I actually shared this message from the stage uh, at a big conference down in Orlando, Florida, a couple years ago. I said, here's the thing. I would love to tell you, here's three easy steps to a better blended family. Yeah, no such thing exists. <laughs> I have nothing easy to tell you. And I'm really sorry about that, but it is the truth. I'd rather be honest and tell you a hard truth than lie to you and give you a bunch of glib little snippets that aren't actually going to make any difference in the long run. Right. Um, and so once people understand that and they commit to doing the hard work of chopping down the trees and bucketing out the water before they can start piling in the rocks, now we can get somewhere because they know they're in it for the long haul and they know that little things matter. Because once you've got your cofferdam built, now you just start piling in the rocks. Big rocks, little rocks, doesn't matter. Every little rock matters. Because eventually you're going to get that cone filled up. And then you can have your foundation re and you can build another one. And then you can start building the actual bridge across it. But it, one stone at a time, one stone at a time, one stone at a time. Every day is another little rock. 
even if I don't have any act into, sorry, let me start again. Even if I don't have any interaction with my ex-wife that particular day, I'm still putting in a rock because am I thinking positively? Am I acting positively? Am I saying positive things to my children and to my current wife? Or am I tearing her down in front of them? Right? Every day is an opportunity to put a rock into that coffer dam. Are we doing those days well, or are we taking rocks back out by, by doing terrible things that we shouldn't be doing? Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's a lot of what I try to get people to understand when it comes to blended family. It's going to take time. It's going to take work. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. There are days when you feel like you're the only one doing the work and you may be, but guess what? It doesn't mean you need to stop. You still need to keep doing the work because in the long run, it's going to pay off. It's going to pay off. Why is there so much resentment when it comes to these situations? Is it because, you know, the parents are kind of feeling like, oh, they're pointing, they're still pointing fingers. Who did this? Who did that? And they haven't gone over it. Like, what is it? I've I never experienced it. I know most friends have been in the situation where both parents will never talk to each other again. Yeah. Left the child. Off you go. You know, you're inside the car. See you later. I'll pick you up later on at this location. Yada, yada. Right. But why is there so much still after 10, 15 years, there's so much, like, there's still that resentment. Like, why is that? What yeah, I was, I was, that's a really good question. I was actually just talking with someone a couple of days ago and they were at a, they were at a friend's wedding. And so it was this guy that I was talking to. He was at a friend's wedding and this guy's family had been friends with the guy who was getting married. They'd been friends with him for years. So this guy who I was talking to, his parents were at the wedding, but his parents have been divorced for 30 years and they still won't talk to each other. Right. And that's kind of what you're talking about. It's it's been three decades since those people split up and they still can't stand the side of each other. I, you asked a really good question. Why all this resentment? There's not any one simple answer well, that's not true. There is one simple answer, but it's, it's a big one. It's pride. We all feel hurt our pride has been wounded um and so everybody wants to be right and until we are humble enough to admit that maybe we were at least partially responsible as well then there's going to be some of that resentment there and and please anyone who's listening who's divorced i promise i'm not trying to say things that are hurtful to you again i'm divorced my parents divorced i'm speaking from a place of experience i'm not trying to talk down to you so i have have to give that disclaimer because what i'm going to say may bother some people ultimately there are a million reasons for the resentment that you were asking about. It could be because people felt like the, the, the divorce was the other person's fault. It could be because you feel like after the divorce, the other parent is just undermining you all the time, or they're not supporting you, or they're purposely turning the kids against you. And all of those things may be true. That's the really hard part. You may have very valid reasons to be angry at your ex. But think about what you taught your children when they were in grade school and they came home to you and they said, well, little Billy was being mean to me today. Did you tell your kid, well, if he's mean to you, be a jerk back? Or (laughs) did you teach your child just because they're mean to you is no excuse for you to be mean back to them? Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe they were hungry. Maybe they are having a hard time at home, whatever it may be. If they were mean to you, it doesn't give you the right or the excuse to be mean back to them. We teach that to five-year-olds, but when we become adults, we forget that. And so we, we need to remember just because we've been hurt doesn't mean we have to act out of that place of hurt. 
right? Um, I, I posted, I read and posted a, I didn't write this article, I read it and reposted it on my Facebook page uh, months ago, and I've seen it again recently. The title of the article is something along the lines of, trauma that happens to you is not your fault, but healing from that is your responsibility. And the idea behind it is there are certain things that may have happened in your world that are outside of your control. That's totally valid. I understand that. But the question is, are you going to use those things as an excuse or are you going to use those things as an opportunity? Are you going to be a victim or are you going to overcome those things and become a victor? That's one of the, that's the title of one of the presentations that I give victim or victor. Your story is your power because how you tell the story of your life, shows a lot about who you are and, and your worldview, your mentality. And a lot of people are content to be the victim in situations where they could be using what happened to them to overcome that, and they could be using it to serve and help other people who are going through similar things. And so that's what I want to encourage people to do. That's what I want to um, inspire people to do is to uh, don't, don't pretend like nothing bad happened. And, and don't minimize. Well, I'm not telling you to brush it under the rug and, and compartmentalize. What I'm saying is don't let that define the rest of your life. Don't let that shape every decision you're ever going to make. Learn how to use what happened to you as an opportunity to grow. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Uh, I'm not saying that it's going to be fun. What I am saying is I guarantee there's someone else out there who could benefit from hearing your story of overcoming whatever happened to you because they may be going through it right now and your story of overcoming it might be the thing they need to help them get over it themselves or get past it themselves. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think within a lot of blended families, there's a lot of hurt because we aren't willing to move beyond what happened to us. We want to hang on to the hurt that our ex spouse caused us um, because it gets us sympathy or because uh, of a million other reasons. Once we learn that we don't have to hang on to it anymore, then we become free. I've heard people, I forget who, the, who said it, but there's a great quote that says something along the lines of um, um, hanging on to bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. Like lack of forgiveness or hanging on to hurt that other people caused you, it's not going to bother them. It's only hurting you. So you've got to learn to forgive. You've got to learn to move past that. And again, that's easy for me to say because I'm not sitting in your shoes. I guarantee there's someone who's going to be listening to this. They're going to go, that guy's a jerk. He has no idea what happened to me. You're right. I, I may be a jerk. And you are right. I have no idea what happened to you. But I'm not trying to be a jerk in this moment. What I'm saying is whatever has happened to you, you can use that as an opportunity for growth if you choose to. And if you do, you may be able to inspire others to do the same thing. I'm just asking you to consider that as a possibility. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And also it's not always, it, it, I feel like it's society kind of made us, well, not all of us, but made us feel sensitive in a sort of way and sense yeah. of entitlement. Because yep. I remember growing up, like my parents have always taught, especially my mom, she's, she's very tough love mm -hmm. and she's very like, well, oh, they told you weren't good enough. So what, what does it's it right. matter Who cares what they think? <laughs> you know but yeah. nowadays it's like everyone's taking things so seriously and Ugh. you know the future generation is kind of like getting molded into that and it's like yeah. it's 
no. What happened to the old days of you fall down, you cry, you get back up. Rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. Exactly. Now it's like kid falls and it's like, oh no, my poor baby. And it's just this, this and that. It's like, oh my God, huge eye rolls. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of truth in what you said that, um, and and I hate to say this, but a large part of it is social media. If you portray yourself as a victim, you're going to gain a lot of sympathy. And anyone who contradicts that, is going to get labeled as some sort of mean, horrible person who just hates puppies and kittens and stuff. Um, And that's not fair because sometimes people need a kick in the pants. Sometimes people need to say, you know what? Buck up. Okay. Rub some dirt on it. You'll be fine. Yeah. Now to be fair, I think the reason a lot of people don't do that as much today is because that's what they were told when they were young. And maybe they were told it a little bit too often. Um, I would argue that in my world, uh, my parents were very much that way. Um, there's a story that I love to tell. My freshman year of college, I was playing soccer, and I was I was only 17. I graduated early, so I was, I was 17 years old. I'm playing against you know 18 through 22 year old grown men, and I was I'm only five foot three. You can't tell because I'm sitting down, but I'm pretty small anyway. And so I was young and I was little, and I wasn't nearly as good as I thought I was when I showed up at college. And the first week of college, we had three a days practice with class in between. And it was the worst experience of my life up to that point in time. It was so hard. And I just wanted to quit. And I called home every night in tears. I called home and I'd call my mom. Mom, this is hard. Mom, I don't like this, blah, blah, blah. Well, after about the third night, I called home. I'm talking with my mom. And all of a sudden, I hear the, right? You remember landlines and someone hand the phone to someone else? You hear the, okay, so that's what I heard. And I thought, that's weird. And then I heard my dad's voice. And that was really weird because I called mom's house and they'd been divorced for five years at that point. Right. And I hear my dad's voice on the other end of the phone line. He says, Hey son. I said, Hey, Hey dad. You know, I try to, <clears throat> Hey dad, you know, cause I don't want dad to hear me cry too much. <clears throat> hey dad. And he says, Hey, listen, your mom's been telling me that you've been calling home every night crying. I said, yes, sir. I'm just, I'm having a really hard time. And I, I think I just want to quit. And he said, Hey, listen, I need you to know that I love you. I said, okay. He said, you committed to that soccer team, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, then you're not allowed to quit. You will finish at least this year. We love you. We're not coming to pick you up. Click. And then he hung up the phone. (laughs) And I just stared at the phone. I thought, are you kidding me? But I realized pretty quickly, like, that's one of the best gifts my dad ever gave me. Because he didn't let me quit. And that, that allowed me to pursue my dream of playing college soccer. And it allowed me to, to play another year and then go and play in England for a semester. And it gave me opportunities to coach that I never would have had if I had quit and come home. That's so true. And, it's and, and sometimes, sometimes we need that, right? Yeah. But like you said, a lot of people today, they don't want to hear that. They want to be validated in their pain. They want to be validated in their victimhood. And if you disagree with that, you're a terrible person who probably kicks puppies for fun. And that's, you know, but on the other hand, Sometimes we, we push kids too hard, right? And I would argue that in my world, I've done that with my daughters. Um, I know there are times when my daughters, when they were younger, there were too many times when I told them, stop crying, you're fine. And that hurt their feelings. They, I didn't realize how soft little kids' hearts were. I never had kids before. And, and I, didn't, I didn't pay attention to the fact that I was a sensitive kid. And instead, I just thought, all you did was fall down and scrape your knee. Suck it up. You'll be fine. Your knee will heal. Let's go. And there were some times when I should have been more compassionate. And so I think what's happened is previous generations were too much on the tough love side. And so now our generation is going too much to the, oh, it's okay side. 
And hopefully what will happen is the pendulum will swing back toward the middle within a generation or two. And, and we can get kind of back where we need to be. Because I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people who aren't willing to let kids suffer at all in any way. I post articles all the time about in education, it needs to be okay for kids to fail. If kids can't fail, guess what? They're not going to try because they know they're going to pass. It's, it's true. It's so true. Right. And, and the thing is, the real world doesn't work that way. I'm a, I'm a high school coach, or I used to be a high school coach. If you're not very good, you're not going to play very much. I, and I'm not saying that to be insulting, but like my soccer team that I coached, we were really good. And that meant that the players who worked hard, who had the best attitude, who had the most talent, they were going to play the most. If you just weren't very good at soccer, what do you want me to do? I'm not getting varsity sports, high school sports. We're not about participation trophies. We're about character development at the same time as trying to be really good. I want you to become better people. I do. That's our main focus. But in becoming better people, part of that is rewarding people who work hard and do what they're supposed to. That's what the real world is about. If you go to work and you're a crappy worker, you don't get to keep your job very long. There's no participation trophy. That's not how the real world works. Mm -hmm. So I just, I dislike that philosophy of, of youth sports where everybody has to play a certain amount of the game and you don't keep score and it's well in, it, so here's my issue. And this is big picture. There are many things in the world that are well intended, right? They come from a good heart. They come from a good place. want to hurt kids' feelings. They want everybody to have a happy experience. I get all of that. But at some point, you've got to also introduce the real world. And the real world is not your guaranteed playing time. The real world is not everybody gets to play every game. The real world is not we're not going to keep score because we don't want to hurt Sally's feelings or Joe's feelings. No. At some point, you've got to tell kids, you know what? Sometimes you can play the best game of your life. And the other team, they're still going to be better. than you. And those days suck. Yeah. But those days are going to happen. Yeah. And if you weren't. If you weren't taught that when you were a kid, how much more devastating is that the first time it happens to you if you're 16 or 18 years old? I mean, your whole life you've always been, uh, you know, you've always been great and all of a sudden you get kicked in the pants and now you're like, what do I do? No, you should have been taught that when you were a little kid. You should have been taught. Life's not all about you. Sometimes days are going to be hard. There's a, I don't know if you listen to the band Matchbox 20, um, but there's a great song they came out with 10 or 15 years ago. And there's a line in the song that says, you can still lose even if you really try. That's the real world. You can, you can try as hard as you can and still come up short. Yeah, you, you're right. And I feel like it's like a reflection of my life because uh, as a person with a uh, learning disability, oh boy, it's <laughs> constant battling with yourself and the world. And you're going through so many emotions thinking like no one just wants to accept you for who you are because of this mm. and when you get into the real world when you're in college and you're just like how do I get through this how do I get through this wanting to give up and kind of getting those traumatic memories of you know in high school and elementary that you were told that you were not succeed you were not going to get anywhere so mm. hey we'll just pass you for what it is and you know let's you know let's just push her away you know right like let her finish elementary school, mm. get her into high school. You know, they're always telling you, you can't do this career. You can't do that. I'm mm. a visual person. I got into architecture because mm. I love construction. And, you know, there was times where I didn't become that architect, but I became an architect technologist, which is nice into the architect. But like, 
you know, it took a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of tough love. And if it wasn't for my parents, I, who knows where I would be. So I take on challenges and that's what we need is we need to take on those challenges, take those risks, because if Mm. you don't risk it, you're never going to know if it was meant for you or not. So, yeah, well, I love that. I thank you for sharing that because the other part of that, that I think that's key for people to understand is you um, accepted where you were, but you didn't accept where people tried to pigeonhole you. When people said you can't do this, you can't do that. Absolutely not. I'm, I'm not going to be defined by what you say I can or can't do. I'm going to overcome that. I'm going to get beyond that, right? And that's huge because now you have, a, you have a mentality that's based in hard work. It's not a mentality based on, oh, everything just always came easy to me. And what's interesting is, especially if you look at statistics here in the States, a lot of times the students who are the most successful are not the straight A kids. It's the kids who got low A's or B's or high C's but had to work really hard to get them because they had to work really hard. The kids who coast through high school with all A's who never have to work, a lot of them get their faces kicked in when they go to college because they have no idea how to actually buckle down and study. But the kids who had to struggle in high school, they get to college and they're like, all right, I struggled in high school. I can struggle my way through college. I've done this before, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, then you get to, and then you get out in the real world and you're like, this job is hard, yeah. big deal. I've been doing that since junior high school. I can do hard, right? Yeah. So that's a good, like, I'm really, I'm inspired by what you said, because that's a great story that kids need to hear is, listen, just because it's hard doesn't mean you can't do it. In fact, when you do accomplish it, man, it's that much sweeter. Like, yeah. and, and so you, you think about, I've got lots of kids in my classroom, the kids who easily get A's for whatever reason, like that's just how their brain is wired. They, they get good grades in history class. They don't have to try very hard. They don't care when they get a 97 or a 98, Right. But I get other kids, man, they struggle to take notes and they struggle to remember and they struggle to read and they struggle to put concepts together and they get a 75 and they think, heck yeah, that's great. My last test was a 44. This is way better, right? It's true. And they had to work for it. Mm -hmm. And when they get out of school, nobody's going to give a crap what their grades were, but they're going to look at their work ethic and they're going to go, that's the kind of employee that I want right there. Yeah. No, it's true. And I'll I'll give you a fun fact. When I started college, it was just like overwhelming because you're taking eight courses a semester. You're taking right. history, you're taking science, you're taking introduction to plumbing and heating, and you're taking electrical and all these other intensive courses, plus your building code and um, you're taking your nope. lecture halls. And it's just like, for <laughs> someone like me, I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, how do I even start? Like, what do right. you do? So yeah, I did struggle at the beginning, but then a professor told me one day, and I did not take modified classes because I said, you know what, mm. what's the point? So I didn't really take wow. modification. So I kind of just mm-hmm. took the reins for what it is. And professor told us one day, you know what, guys? When you get into the world world and you apply for a job, they're not going to care right. if you got a 90%. Great, you made it to the yep. dean's list. What does that make you compared to other people who actually have experience who've taken, you know, uh, different other courses to improve, et cetera, et cetera. But when you apply for jobs, they're just going to say, well, you have your certificate. Yeah. So do you know the stuff? Have you have a field experience? Yeah. So that's all you need. So that kind of clicked on me when I wanted to give up literally a a year before I was done. It was my Mm. second year. I was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm over this. I can't do it. I feel so emotionally drained. How I I'm, I'm almost feeling everything, but I, I, my goal was just to pass Mm -hmm. because what's the point of me overworking myself to get that 90% or that 4.0 GPA knowing that all you needed was a 2.5. 
Yeah. Well, and the thing is too, like if you really work for that 2.5, you probably actually learned more than a lot of people that may have had a higher GPA that just kind of glanced and went, yeah, I got this. And, but they didn't actually absorb it. You know what I mean? Some kids are just really good at memorizing and taking tests, but then they have to go to apply it in the real world. And it's like, I don't remember any of that. That's because you didn't work hard when you were taking the class. And also when you go into a field, like in construction, they told us you're not going to use what you learned in school, depending on obviously what you're doing yeah exactly so when i went into it just recently because you know i took a break i took photography courses i went back for personal training so i've done a lot i was a retail manager and who would have thought like i could even do it because there's a lot of reports that you have to write and i struggle with writing and even to this day uh but you know you just take on those challenges and i think what you're saying with all of this of being becoming a leader and teaching those valuables and those qualities of having confidence and being humble is what really going to take you through stuff in life. I know it's easier said than done, but Mm -hmm. also hearing other people's experiences can really help you kind of, all right. So you get me, someone like me who just passed and said, you know what, screw this. I'm not here for this Dean's list. Ain't paying me any money. I've paid enough (laughs) into college and let me just passive for what it is and you know we'll figure out what's gonna happen next take it day by day yeah no I do I think there's a lot of um there's a lot that that people can learn from that and again the biggest part of it is knowing that a lot of what you're learning is going to be um extraneous and what I mean by that is you you can't know until you get into the job what from your education is actually going to be applicable to your job so you need to learn as much as you can right but you don't know which bit of that is going to be the most useful to you when you get there. So you just, you've got to learn it. You got to struggle through it and whatever your grade is, you've got to pass. And that's good. That's a good thing to focus on. I tell my students all the time, I don't care what your grade is in my classroom. I really don't care. Pass, fail, doesn't affect my paycheck. Like whatever. I teach in a private school with no child left behind doesn't apply to me. Like I'm not worried about it. You pass, you fail, you earn that. If you, if you get a 100 in my class, first of all, congratulations. That doesn't happen very often. Because I'm a hard teacher and I I take pride in that. Uh, But two, like if you fail, you did that. If you passed, you did that. Don't blame me. You did that. Yeah. But I don't care what your grade is. When when you leave my classroom, I want you to be a better person than when you came in. I want you to be smarter. Yes. I want you to be better at reading and writing. Certainly. I want you to be better at thinking. Absolutely. But I also want you to be more committed to building virtues. I want you to be empathetic. I want you to be understanding. I want you to be chivalrous. Right. I want you to be honest. I want you to have integrity. If you're a better person when you leave my classroom than when you came in, I don't give a crap what your grade is. Same thing with my soccer team. I don't care how much you play. I don't care how much you don't play. Are you a better person when you leave my program than when you started? If all I taught you was how to kick a soccer ball, I wasted your time. I wasted my time. The world's a lot bigger than a soccer field. We need you to become good people. That's what we need to focus on. Right. Um, I've got a, a buddy that I played soccer with in college. His name's Chris Cushenberry. And he is a coach at one of the top high school programs in the entire United States. He's won uh, multiple state championships with his team. And he is just, he's an amazing guy. And he was interviewed for a book that I read. It's, a, it's a, uh, about soccer coaching. Um, but he has a great quote. And what he was talking about in there is he talks about how what he wants to do, he coaches guys soccer. He said, What I want to do is create better men. Soccer is just the avenue or the medium or the vehicle by which we do that. And again, he and I, we played at a Christian college. We're pretty outspoken about our faith. And so what one of the things he said is my job is to spread the gospel. Soccer is just the avenue. 
my job is to create better men. Soccer is just the avenue. And I love that that's his mentality. That, that's my job as a high school teacher. My job is to create better people. It's not to create kids who are good at memorizing history. Yeah. And, yeah, and I love that. And, and that's whether that's blended families or whether that's leadership talks or whether that's in my home or whether that's in my classroom or on the soccer field or in my writing. My goal is to inspire people to become better people. If I've done that, that's a good, that's a win. Yeah. That's, that's what it's all about. And I'll be completely honest with you. I've been inspired through this whole entire time. Um, it's like you have this confidence that I, I could listen to you literally all day. <laughs> it's like, it's so motivating. And that's what I, I always try to find mentors mm-hmm. who could, I could look up to and kind of you're in, you're on my list now because <laughs> I want to be able to share my story and mm-hmm. be able to change younger people's lives who are going through this, even currently, even people who come here to the United States or Canada and mm-hmm. they don't know the language and they're putting right. that, those words ESL yep. and they're, they're struggling, but yep. you know, my parents are a good example of that. They came to Canada like 40, almost 40 years ago. I could be wow. wrong. I'm trying to calculate when my brother was born and how old is he now. <laughs> um, but I think either they're going to be soon 40 and they came here with not even a lick of English. And, wow. you know, it was a tough journey getting through from Central America, going through the United States, from the United mm. States to Canada in the 60s. I'm sure, and, yeah. Uh, sorry, the late 80s. And um, it was just like, holy crap. It's like, they made it you look at them mm-hmm. now and just like holy crap you guys build this foundation you provided us a home you provided us with things where you know i don't want to give up i mm-hmm. was given the privilege to be living in the country either if you're in the united states or canada you're given that privilege you're given that privilege yeah. to make something out of yourself and be make your parents proud so yep I'm just like my parents seeing them now being able to pick up the phone and say, Hey, I need an insurance quote. Even mm-hmm. though it's still broken English, it's like, Hey, I need an insurance quote. Right. But they can do problem it. with a bill or, Hey, I'm looking for a new car. Guide me through it. So mm-hmm. they can do it. And I'm proud of them. Yeah, you should be. Um, that, and that's, again, that's an incredible story because it's the same kind of mentality that you describe in your academic world of there's work that needs to be done. I got to figure out how to get it done. Let's figure it out. And uh, I, I appreciate the kind words you said as well. I, I, love to, um, I love to inspire people. I love to share stories that are going to inspire other people. That's part of why I love doing professional speaking and being on the stage. That's always my goal is to inspire the audience to strive to become better than whatever they are because the thing is like no matter who we are where we are we can always improve um and and part of the reason that i love to do that is because i have seen the the opposite end of it what i mean is like i I remember being at rock bottom at one point in my life um i remember what that was like i i'd uh, been through a divorce uh been through bankruptcy been through foreclosure didn't really have custody of my kids gave up teaching for a while was working a bunch of jobs i didn't like and i remember what that was like and it was pretty awful. And now I feel very grateful to be back where I am. Uh, I've got a job I love. I've got family that I love. I get to see my kids a lot more often. Uh, we've got a home. We've got puppies. We've got, you know, more than we really ever deserve. And I, I credit that to my faith and to my family. I, I really am an outspoken Christian. And I feel like God redeemed those things that I had lost. 
and I'm very thankful for that. I'm much more thankful for those things now than I was before because I know what life is like having had lost them because of mistakes that I made, right? And so what I want to do is to help other people realize wherever you are, whatever mistakes you've made, those don't have to define you. Those don't have to, those don't have to shape the rest of your life. And so I want to encourage people to try to overcome those things. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. It it really takes that one experience for you to overcome that experience and also accept it. Like, believe it or not, just recently I accepted uh, about three years ago. I think I just like was in my room and I was just kind of just on the computer and I said, it just clicked to me. I'm actually going to accept the fact that I have a learning disability and mm-hmm. come to terms with it with my own mental self because it's obviously been a long journey. But then when I landed my dream job, my dream company that I've always wanted to work for, Mm. I was just like, I finally made it. I finally, you know, starting to end this journey of this crazy battle that you go through in the workplace and everything else with that comes with it. And you're just like, I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, I, I've done it. I, I can say that I'm proud of it for this gift. I don't call it a, um, I know there's so many words for it that people call it, but I, this is the gift that I have. This is what I was born with or whatever, if it was developed, I'm not even sure. Cause we don't even know, but <laughs> I've taken it. I've, you know, took on the challenge. Maybe it was meant for me because now I look at it as, I need to share with other people this experience mm-hmm. that I've gone through in order to help them be guided in that situation where she did it. I can do it too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do. I think that's a story that people uh, will be encouraged and inspired by because that's the sort of thing that people like to know is one, I'm not alone. And two, if they've overcome it, then I can learn from them how I can also overcome it. I think that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. Well, Joel, I really appreciate all your time um, because I've learned so much and I felt like we have a lot in common. And by the way, Queen Elizabeth, she is one of my favorites. I'm talking about. (laughs) I actually have books of uh, King George's life. I forgot which one, Um, but Queen Victoria (laughs) and um, Queen Elizabeth, I do have books and I've been watching The Crown. Mm-hmm. And I know some of the stuff <laughs> is true and some of it right. you really got to do. So, yeah, yeah. You got to do your Google search while you're yeah, watching. I tell that people show. don't, don't get your history from Hollywood, <laughs> please. Good gracious above. But I definitely admire her determination, even though yeah. she was that shy kind of, what am I doing? This is not for me, but I have to, because it's yep. part of the role. It's part of the family, yep. the, the tradition, the way it is. But it's true. She changed history in a certain yeah. way that yeah. it kind of revolutionized the fact that first she's female. Right. That's where I was like, okay, you know, right. definitely something that's changed, especially in that time. Females weren't even allowed to vote, right? Right. So, well, they, yeah, they, they were basically property. You were, you, you know, you were your dad's property until you got married, then you became your husband's property. And that's, so for her to rule over this country and do it well for like half a century, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I definitely admire her. She's one of my favorites. And watching The Crown, especially Prince Philip, what he has gone through, as a child and doing all the research, it seems like it's true where, you know, he was kind of abandoned and, you know, 
father disowned him and sent him off to a school far, far away. And he was picked on for being a prince. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of, he used that, I don't know, it's like he wanted to remove the name prince, show these kids that he's living with for temporarily time that hey just because i'm prince doesn't mean i'm just this pretty boy because he's kind of grown up to be that scruff get you know his feet wet and you know i can do it too Mm -hmm. so having that mentality and i was just like it's crazy when you get to really look into that because Mm -hmm. not everybody was born or was able to be perfect it's just sometimes people's get into the way but Believe it or not, like just watching Elizabeth and Prince Philip, you're kind of like, I appreciate them more for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's wonderful. And that's why I say if, if people say that they don't like history, I think it's because um, they they had a bad experience when they were taught history. Or maybe it just wasn't, um, they didn't have a good experience with a time period of history that would have appealed to them. So um, it's always fun to talk with people who who enjoy that kind of stuff. So I'm glad. And I, I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for having me on. I've had a really great time chatting with you. I look forward to connecting with any of your listeners that are interested in connecting with me. Um, you can find me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Joel W. Hallbaker. You can find my website at um, reallifeleading.com, joelwhallbaker.com. If you're in a blended family, check out stepdadding with an I-N-G, stepdadding.com. Uh, those are all me. And uh, again, I would, I would love to connect with any of your listeners and just answer whatever questions they've got or have conversations about, you know, historical figures that we enjoy. Yeah, for sure. And to all the listeners, um, all the information is going to be in the show notes for you. And don't forget, he's giving away a free ebook. So head over to reallifeleading.com to get your free ebook. And Joel, if in the future, if you want to come back and you have a topic that you want to talk about, I'm down for it. Definitely welcome you back <laughs> to the show. And if you ever visit Toronto with your family, please let me know. I'll give you a list of recommendations so you don't feel lost. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Actually, I would love to. I've applied to a couple of different speaking events up in Canada. If I make it up that way, I'll be sure to let you know. If you ever find yourself down here in the Southeast, Give us a call. We'll uh, we'll cook you some uh, fried okra or something. It's pretty good. Oh, I'm interested. I love I say, food. I say we. What I mean is my wife or her mom. So <laughs> I don't really cook. So. No, but thank you. So yep. thank you so so much, Joel, for yep. being on the show and giving um, all the listeners and myself your time. Such amazing, amazing information, and you really motivated me. And I'm just like, I think I'm walking out of like a stadium and I'm just like oh my god I feel like so different or you know <laughs> I learned so much more or things kind of you motivated me and you know it, I feel so grateful thank you that's yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure thanks for having me on and I would love to come back and chat with you again in the future thank you awesome so to all the listeners thank you so much for tuning in on another episode of a little bit of everything with me and that's all we have for now Hi, my name is Casey Gonzalez. I'm with Chef Salty Pork. Hello, everyone. It's the Coupon Queen Pin from the CQP Moments Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Mark the Shark from the Mark the Shark MMA Show. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to a little, little bit of everything, everything with, with Angelica. Angelica. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on the podcast platform that you're listening to.
that's it for now and thanks for listening on a little bit of everything with me